You're listening to Fireside Chats Without the Fires podcast, where customer experience enthusiasts are inspired by our weekly CX practitioners and thought leaders who share their insights and knowledge. And now, here are your hosts, Neil Toff and Paul Catherall. Fireside Chats Without the Fires, Season 2, Episode 34. This one's going to be a darn good one. You know why? It depends. You have to hear the audience thinking, what do you mean it depends? It depends on what? Well, we're going to talk about the it depends trap. That's the topic of our conversation. But what I'm very clear about is the quality of our guest is as high as it gets. She's a return guest. We're debating whether it's the third time, the fourth time, the tenth time, the whatever time. She's a return guest, and she's laughing, which is great. Jess Noble is back in the hot seat on Fireside Chats Without the Fires. Jess, welcome back. It's so great to have you. Um, I feel that uh, you have like this almost quasi, you have a quasi-permanent chair here uh, on the show. It is really nice to have you back in that chair. Thank you for joining us. I am, I, I am super excited to be back. It has been one of those weeks. And this was like the the beacon of light at the end, which may sound corny, but dude, after this week, this is very needed to hang with you guys. Love it. Love it. By the way, this is uh, today. We're, the recording date is Friday, October 8th, uh, which is a customer, customer service week, International Customer Service Week. So, yeah, it's been a long week, I think, for all of us anyway. We've also <laughs> had the chance to kind of celebrate and get together and talk about the importance of customer service and CX and, and, and these things. But yeah, it has been a long week. Uh, Paul and I generally record on Fridays and we both look forward to winding the week down with this, but it's extra special when we have uh, an extra special guest and you are that extra special guest. So they get to hang with you. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. So here we go. The It Depends Trap. That is the title of the chapter that you contributed to the Customer Experience 3 book. Uh, as many of our uh, audience know, uh, we've been interviewing the contributing authors to that book. Um, and we finally have the opportunity to ask you questions about your contribution. So we're going to get into that. And we're going to use that as a jumping off point, probably just to talk about a lot of different stuff related to CX. Um, what I would first like to do, by the way, for those that don't know Jess Noble, follow her on LinkedIn. Her stuff is great. She is a two-time author. Jess, I'm going to ask you to help me out with this. So, the, of course, we're talking about the contribution contribution to the Customer Experience 3 book. You've also written your own book. What is the title of that book? Share that with us, please. Uh, yeah, it's the five customer experience mistakes that cause profit erosion. Okay. So if you're hearing that, and if you know this podcast, by the way, you will see that we, have, we are creating a uh, new series on the uh, spotlighting uh, the business of CX. And we're going to have Jess come back and talk specifically about that. She has been an inspiration to us uh, in the creation of that spotlight. Um, and I think many of the things that she continually talks about, the content she generates, and my guess is many of the things that were kind of started in that, that book that she just mentioned are going to appear again and again as we talk about the business of CX and why it's so important. Yep. Um, I look forward to getting into that. Um, Jess, I'm going to share the, the couple things on your LinkedIn profile for the audience that may not be following you yet. You're the management consultant, senior leader at Innovate, correct? Uh, correct. And you are the founder and CEO of Magnetic Experiences. Correct. Beautiful. Audience, follow Jess Noble 
Uh, she's a friend, a colleague, an inspiration to, to me and to Paul personally, and just a generator of great thought and, and content. And by the way, if you, like me, value people that make you think and challenge uh, the thought process, challenge the dominant paradigm, as some people like to say, um, Jess is your cup of tea. Uh, I think if you're looking for just kind of like high level, superficial, um, you know, gloss over stuff, there's lots of places to go for that. But if that's you want to get me. deep, if you, yeah, that's not just, <laughs> if you want to get deep, if you want to like really have your thoughts challenged and think about unique ways to do CX and even think about whether you should be doing CX at all and how to do it, if you're going to do it, this is your, the place you need to stop. You need to consume Jess Noble's content. Okay. I said it. Um, <laughs> it's all out there. We, we're fans. I'm a fan, but I want to get into this chapter because um, there's some really nice stuff in here. What is the it depends trap? Tell, explain the notion of it depends and why is it a trap? Yes, this topic kind of showed up to me a couple of years ago. And I tell the story in the book and I'll tell it ever so quickly on this podcast just because I think it sets the stage for what the term means, at least to me. And that was I was uh, attending a an event for a bank and they had pulled all their executives together and it was so it was over a hundred executives in one room and it was kind of their annual get together and they had started doing a little bit of CX work and um, one of those things was to capture customer verbatims or customer quotes and so they had pulled some of the most meaningful and put them in envelopes and handed them out to different executives to read during kind of the uh, kickoff uh, um, event. And when the first person stood up, it was just glowing, glowing story from, I believe it was a single mom who bought her first house and was thrilled with her experience. The next one, very similar. The next one, similar, a young couple had bought their first house. And then the fourth one was not glowing. It was actually someone writing in, they were angry and devastated. They'd lost their home, the home they were trying to purchase. And they felt it was because of this bank and their experience, which is really an uncomfortable to sit in a room like that and have like you, you're so excited because the first three have been really affirming of all the work that they had been doing. The, four, the fifth quote, similar, just kind of taking more air out of the balloon and, and the sixth, similar. And the it depends is when you look at that, three of the clients had thought their experience was phenomenal and three, the opposite. Well, what's the difference? Well, everything in their experience, it, it depends on who they worked with. Did they call or email? So which channel? Which day of the week was the person they were talking to having a good day, a bad day? When they needed something expedited, was the supervisor involved to expedite it? It depends on who, what, when, where, why, how, the type of experience that you have. So what we're talking about here is a company that rolls out a big corporate event for its, its team members. We're going to open up some customer service comments and, and the room is probably buzzing as the first one comes out, right? 
yep. you're setting the stage here. Like it's buzzing. It's feel, by the way, buzzing is Paul's expression, right? Buzzing. Room yeah. is buzzing, feeling good. We got great feedback from customer number one. Okay, people are probably like wiping sweat off their brow. <laughs> yes. Good. Feedback number two, also really favorable. Great. Okay, we're, we're in this. People are probably thinking like, all right, I'm getting my bonus check. Like I'm doing well here. I'm getting positive feedback. I'm going to do yeah. well. Comment number three, a real, a real stinker, right? I think. Yep. Bad feedback. All of a sudden, the air goes out of the room and people are thinking, oh, what? We didn't do a good job. And then it was mixed comments. Some are favorable, some are not so favorable. And all of a sudden, our beautiful baby that we thought was so cute and adorable ain't so cute and adorable as we once thought, right? Big surprise. Yep. Wow. Yeah, and inconsistency. It's the inconsistency, and they hadn't shuffled the quotes intending to have the good ones at the beginning and the bad ones at the end. But I think that made it all the more powerful. So in CX, I think it's a probably a pretty good guess assumption that many of our companies offer some outstanding experiences sometimes. But That's as we're also learning, offer some real clunkers, some mm -hmm. really bad at times customer experiences. And what I think you're saying is there's an it depends scenario. Sometimes it depends on, like you said, a channel the contact center agent that that answered the email phone call chat whatever it might be the if it was on phone it was email it was chat it might be the agent of the of that particular shift it might be the day of the week it might be what like it just it, there's the true it depends right yep wow okay so this leads to inconsistency i get it what the heck do we do with this I think the first one is to come to the a place where you can acknowledge that that is not acceptable and how impactful it can be on customers and their likelihood to return as much as they might have to purchase more, to tell their friends about it um, so that their friends are excited to go and have a similar experience because when you put in a, as a customer, you put in some effort or money and you can't predict what the outcome is going to be. Like you go to a restaurant and sometimes it's great and sometimes it's terrible. Yeah. Perfect I, example, right? Yeah. I'm not much of a gambler because I really just want to go to the place where I know it's going to be great. And so if it's hit yeah. or miss, you know, that that's a tough experience. And so really coming to the place where you realize the impact of a hit or miss. So you can't justify, but hey, we did a great job three times and we did a rotten job one time. Pay attention yeah. to what that rotten job means. Yeah. So you have a great set of lists in your book, or, or I call them lists. They're not exactly mm -hmm. lists, but you, you, you would kind of go through them. There are some benefits of consistency in CX. Mm -hmm. Can you share a couple of what those what those benefits are? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one is we tend to, as a customer, return to companies and to spend more with companies where we can predict a positive positive outcome. We just know that when we do business, we're going to get what we expected for a similar amount of effort and an investment of money. 
um, customer complaints are going to decline clearly if you are providing a consistent experience. Well, unless you're consistently horrible. Although that might also hold true because probably people will stop complaining. They'll just disappear. Um, you'll get probably more referrals from customers because they know that if they recommend it, the people that they send there are going to have a good experience. It's not, you might have a good experience, you might not. Um, it's going to reduce the cost of finding new customers because of that word of mouth that, that is positive on the street. I don't usually tell my friends, you absolutely got to try this place. It's phenomenal. I mean, half the time it's phenomenal. The other half, it's going to be miserable. Um, but yeah. you should absolutely try it. Like, I don't send my friends there. You got to try this place. Half the time it's phenomenal, half the time it's terrible, said no yeah. one. Right. Yeah. And then I think price sensitivity is, it really is. In many cases, people will pay more when they know it's just kind of a guarantee that it's going to be good. And, you know, restaurants are, I think, a, a really simple way to look at it. But the places I go are the places I just know that the food's going to be good, the service is going to be nice, the prices are going to be similar to what I expect, the ambiance is going to be similar. Whereas if it's hit or miss, sometimes they've got a ton of screaming babies. And sometimes they've got, you know, exorbitant pricing and sometimes it's dirty and sometimes it's not. Does, should, should a company look at this as an assembly line, right? Because if you can replicate it and put out the product or service as, as if it were an assembly line mentality, is that the approach to take to achieve consistency? Yeah, so that is a great question and it really depends on what you're in the business of. If you're in the business of a product, I kind of hope it's an assembly line. Like I, I would like to know that if I buy a car from Nissan, that it's going to be the same as the car before it and the car after it, or at least as good as that. So in that case, absolutely. But you are probably thinking more about a service. And, you know, we don't want to go as far as cookie cutter. And this is what makes it tough to hit the balance of being real, being authentic, having empathy, connecting with our customers, and we are human, so we're not perfect. So how do we still deliver a consistent experience? And this is where you have to look at what are the things that support delivery of an experience, the processes, the handoffs, the technology, so that they are supporting a consistent experience. So yeah, kind of behind the scenes, there's a lot of assembly line and then the humans are free to be be human and add their own personal touch. And now you've limited the it depends to the human component and hopefully with the right training and support for them and empowerment, they can deliver good, even better and great experiences, which is consistent enough for me as a customer. Love it. I think we all can probably guess that um, inconsistency can oftentimes lead to bad customer experience. You have a nice set of thoughts as well around a damaging effect of inconsistency. Can you share a few of those with us? Yeah, absolutely. And this is where I think it's super easy to minimize or justify the what we might want to think is the limited impact of a bad experience. The, hey, here's a gift card, we're sorry. 
come back again, actually, on that note. One of the things I hate the most is you have a bad restaurant experience. What do they do? They give you a gift card to come back rather than doing something during your present experience. <laughs> I'm thinking yeah. the last thing I'm going to do is come back. Now, if you made this experience better and you tried to do something to remedy it, that's part of this experience, your recovery. But when they give something towards the next time, I'm like, now you're just trying to get me to come back and hoping I'll, I will spend more of my own money on top of that gift card, which ticks me off. But back to your question about um, some of the downsides of an inconsistent experience is your costs in general go up because when you have unhappy customers, you're doing things like handing out gift cards, uh, processing credits, giving away free stuff, which then eats away into your margins, which is not what companies want to see happen. You'll also, and if we're looking more in the B2B world, those are going to be the clients that are probably going to slow pay. The clients that you have the best relationship with, they're going to that, that are getting a great experience, they're going to want to make sure that you want to keep them as a customer. So they're going to likely pay in a timely fashion. So your receivables can get worse as you're providing inconsistent and or more poor experiences. Another on the product side, you're going to have slower inventory turns when people aren't happy. And that just, that gets expensive. You're going to have more customer complaints less customer referrals. Um, and one of the things I think we forget, and this is the tie into employee experience. If you've got customers complaining all day, it's really tough to maintain a great employee experience, employee morale, because that wears on team members. And so that is one of the ramifications of a poor customer experience in many cases or inconsistent experiences and I then list. and then competitors i mean i would if i if i had a competitor that was inconsistent i would use that in my marketing to the we're opposite you're going to get an awesome experience every time you're going to get what you're expecting or more so those are some of the things on that list this good this list is great this very much ties into the conversation around the spotlight of on, on biz, the business of cx so if you are a CX practitioner, if you're a uh, chief customer officer, if you work on a customer care team and uh, you're fighting the battle of trying to justify what you're doing and why your company should invest in certain things, I think these are important considerations in how to prove your point of why CX should be made consistent and what the return on investment could be. But on the flip side, if you don't do it, if you don't do it well, if you are inconsistent, what could happen? And if you show these things to your CFO, the person holding the purse strings, they're going to take note of these things very quickly. No one wants to hear that the, your cost of sales is going to go up, your cost of service is going to go up, your margins are going to go down. And if it's a business to business uh, environment that uh, your accounts receivable are going to become uh, are going to degrade, your inventory turns are going to become slower, et cetera, et cetera. This is a very important list here. Yeah, 100%. And you, you said CFO and CFOs are my favorite in the C-suite. Um, 
And I've actually done a couple of podcasts with CFO groups. And the fun and interesting thing is the modern day CFOs sometimes steal all my lines before I've even said them because they get it. They get the value of delivering well consistent, consistently. They understand. And so in the chapter, and I don't know if you were going to ask about this, but I was talking to a friend of mine, former CFO, and he added his perspective of what it means to be delivering a great experience and the ramifications on the business from the highest level of even getting investors, getting terms with banks and those types of points, which I almost never hear companies or CX programs talking about. And that's how you get the attention of the C-suite. Yeah. Well done. Well done. Excellent. I want to ask you one other question about your chapter, if we can. Absolutely. Um, you go through an explanation of the five whys. What are the five whys and how do they lead to creating more consistent customer experiences? So the five whys has been around for a long time. I didn't invent it, but it is a great tool to get to the root of issues, concerns, inconsistencies in the experience that you're providing. And it is super simple. So if you were going to write it down, you don't even have to write it down. The five whys is when you're talking about a problem, ask the question, why? Why is this happening? And then you're going to get an answer. And it, maybe it's something like we don't have a good handoff between sales and delivery. You ask why again. This is your second why. Why is that? Well, the answer might be sales does A, B, and C. Or delivery doesn't do A, B, and C. Okay, we're still not at the root of the problem. That was, you have to ask why again. And the rule of thumb is once you've asked it five times, you're going to be at the true root of a problem. And so many companies just naturally stop around the second or third why. And so when you solve that problem and it doesn't actually solve the issue that you were hoping it would solve, you know, you solve the sales to delivery handoff. The reason is because you didn't get to the underlying root. And maybe that is... Sales is waiting for delivery and delivery is waiting for sales and they're in a stalemate. That's why you haven't solved it. Or a system. Maybe nobody even knows when you've got a client in that in-between because you don't have systems that keep that front of mind. There's all sorts of things, but that fifth why is typically based on science and research, which you can Google and find that when you ask it for the fourth and fifth time, that's where you get to the true core of that issue. And addressing that is what will eliminate the issue that you're having. It, although it's also not easy. Um, solving the answer to the first or second why, those are easier because they tend to be superficial issues. These are great. I have a question. I like to use uh, in my own organization uh, the the, the uh, term root cause. We got to get to the root cause. Capital R, capital C. We got to get to the root cause. <laughs> yep. What happens, and I am very guilty of this, is as we get to the root cause or causes, I see, oh, it's human resources fault. And it's very easy to point the finger. 
And it's very easy to wag that finger. And it's very easy to be vocal about, well, the root cause was human resources this time. They screwed it up because of this. The leader did that. We didn't execute this. And it becomes a conversation that can become very negative, very accusatory, uh, very blaming, shaming, judging, and criticizing, um, and humiliating. Uh, and again, I, I have found myself doing this, and it's not helpful. Root cause is great, but what we do with it, I think, is equally important. Please share some ideas. If I'm crazy in the way I've misused it, or is this kind of, you know, do you find this to be common um, within organizations that, that uh, root cause can be um, taken out of context or, or misapplied? So I doubt this was your intent when you asked that question, but you're actually bringing up one of my favorite quotes um, or leading me to share one of my favorite quotes. And it is um, Edwards Deming, so the father of all process control. And I'm going to, I'm not sure I'll get it exactly right, but he talks about the root cause of systems or of issues being 90%, 95% is caused by the system itself. And in this case, system isn't just technology, it's the, the system, the process. And only 5% is caused by people. And the larger quote talks about, so we spend all this time berating human beings when that's rarely what the issue is. And so getting to the root cause, and I do an exercise with clients sometimes when they have an issue and I'm like, we're going to only talk about root causes that don't involve human beings. So for a time, set aside all humans. So you can't say it was a supervisor or the executive team or the frontline person. And let's come up with all the possible issues along the way. And so often it is the frontline team doesn't have the information they need or it's outdated information that's at their fingertips or it's a manual handoff between teams. It can be too much institutional knowledge. So new people don't know what to do. Only people who've been around for a long time, which is an onboarding issue or training. Um, it can be that you have technology, maybe you have two systems and they're not integrated. So now one set of information is in one system and another's in another. And so then they get out of whack. And so you have dirty master data. So all of these things that we can address, but it's so much easier at least. And I fall into this because I'm not always the most people person. It's just so much easier to be like, you know what? It was that jerk Jeremy, or it was that woman Alice in that department. It's like, really? I mean, maybe you do happen to be the environment where you just got one super toxic person who doesn't care about their job or one super toxic team who's super lazy and doesn't deliver for the client and they love getting berated for it. But guess what? Not that you might not have people issues, but the majority of it depends experiences, the root of it is technology and or processes that are subpar. I'm going to admit I'm going to be vulnerable here. I think I need to take that that course or that session uh, or attend that with you because I fall, find myself too often pointing a finger at humans because it's easy 
convenient. It is. So easy. It, it is. And I think that's the reason the exercise I really like to do it with people is because I'm the same. It's such an easy instinct. I still have days where I'm like, no, Jessica, it actually is all the humans in the world. They're all awful and trying to do a bad job. They're trying to be stupid. They're trying to be lazy. They're trying to ruin my life along with customers' lives. But that's a me problem, <laughs> not a them problem, because that's just not reality. Yeah, I love it. All right, good stuff. Um, as we wrap up today's session, um, what does the audience have forward have uh, uh, can look forward to consuming next of yours? Are you writing anything? Are you working on anything? Working on anything? Are you presenting something? Um, what is the next best way to consume your work? Because this chapter is um, is important. I think in CX, if you're doing CX, you need to read this chapter. Read it. It's a quick read. It's an easy read. It's a simple read. It will challenge you, but I think it's an important read. Read it, audience. Back to the question. Beyond this chapter, what is the next best thing to look forward to that you are putting out there into the content marketplace? You know, so I never thought I was going to put things out into the content world. So both times, both books have been, I don't know, accidents, maybe. <laughs> um, when I have something to say that I end up repeating so often, I'm like, just write it. So I don't have anything right now. However, I've had some clients lately, some, and by some, I mean, maybe one, that it may just inspire me to write a whole series of books um, because they really are a model for all of the typical things that fast growing businesses get wrong. Um, so if I write something, it might be um, about that to some degree and it would be painful to read for anyone because they will likely see a lot of themselves in it because it's not that this client was um, one of a kind. They were just happening to be making more of the common mistakes than some companies. Um, but they really are very common issues that companies make. It's not like companies are inventing new ways to fail. Yeah. I, I am again, admitting being vulnerable here. Like as I read your things, they make me reflect on my own company's work, my own individual work and my company's work. And, um, I think if you, if a reader does not have that reaction, I think it's kind of the point of missed, right? One should use these suggestions, these stories, these anecdotes, these recommendations as, um, uh, thought provoking and, uh, mandatory reflection. Oh my gosh, gosh, are we doing this? Have we done this before? Wait, did we actually do that? Wait, are we as inconsistent as Jess may kind of indicate that we are? Like, I think that's the point of these of this writing. And if one doesn't have that reaction, the point is missed. I, I would encourage uh, your readers of this chapter and of your future work to go through that exercise. Yeah, it's not always comfortable, but it's it's healthy, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, interesting the way you phrase that, um, that because I actually wrote a blog that one of the key lines in it is that admitting you have a problem is step one. 
and I talk about if, <laughs> if as a company, you're positive that you don't deliver a poor customer experience, I'm nearly positive that you do. Because I tend to find that the companies who do a great job are the first ones to say, we don't get it right all the time. And they are critical of their own experience because they're looking to improve. Whereas it's the companies who are like, nope, we're great. We're fantastic. No worries here. And I'm like, that tells me that you've got more problems than you know what to do with or that you're willing to admit to yourself. Yeah, so true. So true. I love it. Jeff Noble, as per expected, uh, you did sensational. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. Thank you for provoking our thoughts. Thank you for generating this content. Thank you for writing this chapter. Uh, I learned a lot from it. Um, I think that our audience, as they read this chapter, will continue to learn and, and, and hopefully reflect. Um, we're going to have you back here in the hot seat in November to talk more about the business of CX something that, that I'm looking forward to. Um, and once again, we're really grateful for uh, you spending time with us at the end of the week. Thank you for joining us. And once again, you are part of the Fireside Chat uh, Without a Fire family. Thank you for being part of this family. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was wonderful to see you. Audience, great guests. You've learned that there's a trap. It's the It Depends trap. Jess's chapter in the Customer Experience 3 book. Once again, please read it. Audience, if you uh, like our content, if you don't like our, contact, our content, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. We want to hear from you. Please do so. Um, to conclude today's session, again, Season 2, Episode 34, The It Depends Trap by the wonderful Jess Noble. Thank you for joining us, Jess, once again. Uh, big hug. Thank you. And audience, thank you as well. Signing off, Fireside Chats Without the Fires. The episode is over, but the conversation continues. Please rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Post a comment and subscribe to stay on the leading edge of customer experience. To get in touch or be a guest, follow us on Twitter at ChatsFires or on LinkedIn or in your podcast repository of choice. Thank you.